Well, I was thinking this last week, and uh, I do that on occasion. And uh, I know the ladies uh, just last week started their, their Bible study on just that, how to study the Bible. Um, Dave and myself were speaking with someone last week after church um, on basically books on the Bible. It was a little more specific than that, but books on the Bible. And so it just kind of, I thought about it, and so uh, I decided to share something that I, I have not done in probably a decade, and that is a topical sermon. I, I very seldom ever, I've probably done that a handful of times out of 500 sermons. I've probably done a handful of topical sermons, but I thought it would be good kind of going with the flow of the question, the women's Bible study, and, and certainly always a great reminder to all of us uh, as we look at this. So I, I thought about just simply the fact of asking the question, why the Bible? Why? Why the Bible? There's great Christian helps out there. You can go to your local bookstore and you can obviously see that for yourself. So why don't we use those things? Probably much easier. Why don't we use those things instead of using the Bible? Well, the answer is, it's because those things do not have the authority of the Bible. They do not have the authority of the Bible. They are not the standard for life and godliness like the Word of God is. It is a standalone book. And so the answer to the question, why the Bible, it's because that's where we go when we want to find absolute truth. Now there are, you know, very good uh, Christian books that are out there. Don't get me wrong, but there's some good stuff that we can still read. Some of them have excellent authors, uh, well-respected authors. But all they do is they talk about the Bible. And of course, this is fine as long as it does not take place of the Bible. I've known many people over the years who will grab, you know, the daily bread, the little book, and they can, you can read that in 30 seconds. You can read a little daily thing in 30 seconds. Or maybe some people grab their favorite devotional. Nothing wrong with that as well. You could probably read that in, in less than five minutes. The problem is then, then, they, then they go right to their favorite Christian book. And somehow they think they've spent time with God, even though you've never opened up your Bible. Maybe some of you are convicted at that. I don't know. But I've seen it many times. They fail to recognize that spending time with God is only going to happen if you're in His Word and certainly in prayer as well. Matter of fact, the question was asked, what's more important, studying the Bible or spending time in prayer? And the answer actually is, What's more important, breathing in or breathing out? They go together. There's no substitute for them. Today, I wanted to answer the question, why is it so important that we study the Bible? Why is it so important? 
There's three points that I want to look at today. And as you've noticed, I have given kind of everybody <laughs> uh, uh, a list of scripture. There's going to be a lot of scripture, a little less preaching maybe from me, but a lot of God's word. That's always a good thing, right? There's a lot of scripture going on. They're all in a row, exactly how we will go through them. But I figured nobody's going to be able to look that fast, and so I wanted to hand them out to you, take them home with you, obviously, and hopefully you can use them to your benefit. Now, before we get into the three points this morning, I want to preface them with this thought, okay? Before a person gets into the Word of God, before they begin to study the Word of God, they need to be prepared, okay? They need to be prepared. And I believe, biblically, prepared means I need to deal with my sin, I think a person needs to confess his sins, but more importantly, to have that willing desire to get rid of those sins. We cannot, this is very important, folks, we cannot expect God's word to change our lives when at the very same time we're harboring sin. We can't just grab our Bibles, jump into it, and think we can just add the Word of God to our sin. How many times have we gone to work and called somebody a bad name, gossiped about somebody else, smart-mouthed your neighbor, stole, you know, who knows, 15 pieces of paper from your job. Ah, they got 30,000 reams, who cares? And we run home, open our Bibles, and I'm just ready to receive the Word of God. Really? Really? We can't just add God's Word on top of those sins. We need to receive the Word of God with purity, at least to the best of our ability, because we are sinful people. We know that. Matter of fact, in James chapter 1, verse 21, you'll see that. That's the beginning of your list there. James says, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And then it says, And humbly accept the word planted in you. Did you notice how it went through that? Do this, then do this. Get rid of the moral filth and the evil, then Humbly accept the word planted in you. Kenneth Wiest, uh, he's a, a Greek scholar. He phrases it this way. He says, having put away every moral uncleanness and vulgarity and wickedness, which is abounding, he says, in meekness receive the implanted word. Now, Actually, in the Greek, by the way, this is a condition in other words, he's simply saying, before you receive the word, we must deal with the sins in our lives. You're never going to be able to take in the word of God, receive what you truly want, what God truly wants from his word, if you just jump into it while you're really in sin. If you sit here and say, well, uh, I don't sin, talk to me afterwards. Before God's word can bring forth his righteousness in us, we must forsake, we must abandon that sin in our lives which stands between us and that righteousness. 
Talk to God. Spend time with God. Deal with your sin before you get into the Word of God. Look at yourself. Look at your day. How much did you gossip? Did you take something from work? How much did you badmouth this person or lie or fib or whatever it is? And then expect to just get everything you can out of Scripture. Paul says something similar to the churches in Ephesus and Colossae. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You guys seen this? Is everything there properly? He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. He says to do what? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Then he said, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. What do you do? Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I just want to read this, and I'll read one more, simply showing you that we need to, for one thing, take off something before we put on something else is the principle that he's saying here. Same thing in Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10. He says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The putting off of your old self, or just like the words ridding yourselves, it literally means to strip away. It means to cast off. Okay? The concept is putting off something before you put on something else. It's the same thing with us getting rid of sin before we dive into the Word of God. Once again, before we can get His righteousness in us, we need to get rid of, confess, repent of our own filth. You're never going to get what God wants to truly give you when you're just harboring sin. Matter of fact, the, the writer of Hebrews, we all should know this very well, writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now remember those witnesses are, right? Those witnesses are everybody he just talked about in chapter 11, Okay? So he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, since we are encouraged, since we are motivated by these great people of faith, what do we do? He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and then let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So he's comparing us and comparing our lives to a competitor in a race. Folks, before the competitor runs, he gets rid of everything that weighs him down. Okay, If there is anything that will impede him, he tosses aside anything that will stop him from running the best race possible. If you watch you know, Olympics or things of that nature, you'll notice the shoes they wear, the spikes, how many ounces they are. I mean, me, probably even you who only wear certain things when you're doing what you're doing in the Ironman. 
But they toss aside all these things. But then they run. They run. For us, what does he say? We throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And then he says, we run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just, are you getting the drift of what I'm doing here? What takes, takes place first? What takes place second? I'll finish this thought with looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and evil and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow up in respect to your salvation. That one's pretty clear, isn't it? Get rid of the malice, get rid of the hypocrisy, the the slander, all these things in our lives. Then, just like a newborn baby, long for the milk of the word. Why? So that you may grow up, he says, in respect to your salvation. Once again, first, we need to set aside sin before we long for the word. You will never receive what is intended for you to receive while you're in sin. Now, just as a side note, did you notice when I read that verse that um, all of these sins are dealing with our relationship to man? Okay? It's almost as if he's saying that we have to have a right relationship with man before we can expect to draw near to God. I can't slander my neighbor, gossip about the guy on the street, lie about him, use bad language about that guy or whatever, my coworker, my boss, and whatever. Come home from work, kick my feet up, and open the Bible as if, oh yeah, I'm ready to take it in. No, you're not. No, you're not. The first problem is we have to figure out what we're doing wrong. Sometimes we think we go throughout the day sinless. I would say that would be rare. We've got to approach the Word of God with a clean heart. Let's go ahead now and look at those three things, those three points, and why is it so important that we study the Word of God? And obviously, I'm just making three points. This is by no means even close to anything exhaustive, okay? But number one, and I put this in your notes, it helps us to overcome temptation, Or if you want to phrase it, it helps us to stay free from sin. Helps us to overcome temptation or helps us to stay free from sin. If we want to avoid those things, we have to be prepared with the Word of God. Okay? Well-known passage, Ephesians chapter 6. We all know it as the armor of God, right? It says, starting in verse 10, it says, Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And so we instantly know this is a spiritual battle, right? We can see that that quickly. Matter of fact, it's going to tell us right now. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but it's against the rulers, it's against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, do you see that? You will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. So he's saying here, number one, that we are in a spiritual battle against Satan and his cohorts. Okay, I don't have time to go through it, but Paul then just simply guides us through that text there. Okay, he tells us what the armor is, okay? And then he gets to, to the end there at verse 17, and he shares with us the one offensive weapon that a Christian has. The one offensive weapon. And that is, he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he says. So yeah, he's using the, uh, the picture of the Roman soldier. They have a physical sword they would fight hand-to-hand combat with. For us, it's the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the... We don't have to worry about what is that. He tells us it is the Word of God. That is our weapon in a spiritual battle. To know, to understand, to be able to grasp, and therefore to use the Word of God. Because we're in battle every day, folks. Three enemies are the Christian, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to deal with all of them all the time. Matthew chapter 4. What did Christ do when he was tempted by Satan? Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a little bit long for me. It says the Spirit of God sent him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Once again, I'm not going to go through this whole detailed thing here. But do you remember how Satan, Jesus responded to Satan? Three times Satan tempted him. Three times Jesus said, it is written and he quoted scripture. It is written, and he quoted scripture. One more, it is written, and he quoted the word of God. How did he handle temptation? How did he deal with these challenges that were thrown at him? He simply used the word. He applied the word of God. I remember a pastor saying many, many years ago, he said, you know, the more scripture that he learns, the more difficult it is to sin. Just as soon as you get involved in something you shouldn't be doing or thinking or watching, 15 different verses come to your mind. It's it's not a bad thing, you know? When's the last time anybody here has memorized anything? In 1 John chapter 2, this is very clear. I like this. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and listen, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 
We don't have to worry now about or wonder about what does he mean, you young men who are strong, because now we know it means strong spiritually. You're strong spiritually because the word of God lives in you. And because the word of God lives in you, what does he say? You've overcome the evil one. The word of God didn't uh, show up for dessert. The word of God didn't just stop by for a chat. It lives, he says, in you. The Word of God supplies everything we need for a godly, victorious life. I like how Howard Hendricks, any of you guys ever heard of Howard Hendricks? Nobody. Don't a couple of you. Good for you. Passed away. Um, great man of God, taught as a professor for 50 years at Dallas Theological Seminary. Heard him in a conference some 20 some odd years ago. But he simply said, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Both sides very true. But for what we're talking about this morning, this book can keep us from sin. Let's go to our second point. Why is it so important that we study the Bible? Because it causes, number two, because it causes us to mature. It causes us to grow. It's, uh, it, it causes us to be sanctified, if you will. God's word sanctifies us. In 1 Corinthians chapter, th- chapter 3, by the way, I told you we'd go through a lot of scripture, didn't I? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, And I, brethren... I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. I just want to make a simple point in that verse, is that Paul fed them. Paul fed them. He fed them so they could grow. He fed them the word of God. Okay? Now, he fed them milk, which were the basic truths of Scripture. Solid food, of course, would be the deeper things of the word of God. But the key is that we know it's important that he fed them. We don't, you know, it's funny how we know a lot of us here don't need to be fed as much as we do, okay? We all, most of us know that. But we all know we have to eat, we have to be fed to grow, to stay alive, to function properly. But we don't always think that way spiritually, do we? I, I used to use the illustration for you parents. What if you walked into your house or for some of you, your basement where your kid is residing. What if you walked into your house and your 20-year-old is in a crib sucking his thumb? Somebody laughs like it's happening. But that's like, okay, there's a problem there. But what if that was spiritually speaking? We don't seem to care as much, do we? If the 20-year-old, spiritually speaking, is sucking his thumb, the 20-year-old believer, we don't seem to care as much. Okay, but we care about physical growth, but we don't seem to care as much 
about spiritual growth. Somebody's been a believer for 20 or 30 years, and they're as ignorant as all get out, and their life shows it. Nobody seems to blink. They don't bat an eye. But we must be fed. In Acts chapter 20, this is a text where Paul uh, is leaving the church of Ephesus. As you know, Paul goes on to his missionary journeys. He's giving his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. And in verses 19 and 20, Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach to you that which would be helpful or profitable to you, and I've taught you publicly from house to house. So he's taught them what is helpful, what is profitable, right? It's very important. Verse 27, he says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will or the whole counsel of God. What did he preach to them? What did he share to them? How did he prepare them? He taught them the whole counsel of God. Not not part of the counsel of God and part of the counsel of men. The whole counsel of God. And this is not in your notes here. But I'm going to continue reading verses 28 through 32. You should have 32 in your notes. He says, he tells the elders of the church, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God that he bought with his own blood. And here's why he tells them this. Because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. In other words, false teachers. Even from your own number, your own number, he says, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard and remember that for three years I never stopped warning you each day and night with tears. And then verse 32, he closes it out. What does he say? He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those, listen, who are sanctified. I commit you to the word of God, which is going to build you up. It'll place you into the group of those who are sanctified, being made holy. The whole counsel of God, giving you the word, it builds you up, changes your life. Folks, remember the Bible is the source of spiritual truth. It's not one of many. It's the source of spiritual truth. Just like I read earlier in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, right? Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow up. There it is again. In respect to your salvation. See? Matthew 4, 4. Many of us know this. You may not know it off the top of your head when I say Matthew 4, 4. But it says, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Anybody? 
Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh yeah, I remember that now. Man doesn't live by bread alone. We don't just grow physically. We, we need to grow spiritually. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, after conversion, our lives should be marked by continual growth. Once again, don't come home, see your child sucking his thumb, your 20-year-old. If you get the illustration, you understand that. We must be marked by continual growth. Just like we need nourishment in our physical life, we need nourishment in our spiritual life to do the same. A spiritually healthy Christian is a hungry Christian. A spiritually healthy Christian is a hungry Christian. The next verse is a favorite of mine. It's very short, very simple. Maybe that's why I like it. John 17, 17. Many scholars, theologians, what have you, they typically call this Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is preparing himself to be crucified. He's going to die, as you know, be buried, raise again. Forty days later, he will ascend to be with the Father. And so he's praying to God. Jesus, as he's praying to the Father, he prays for himself. He then prays for his disciples. He then prays for everybody. Okay? Here in John 17, 17, he's praying for his disciples. And he says this. Lord... God, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, we all know, you've heard me say it many times, the word sanctify means to make holy. Uh, it's also translated to purify, to consecrate, uh, to set apart. Okay? He says, God, Make them holy, set them apart, do so by your truth. Your word is truth. You can, you can simply say, Lord, make them holy by your word. That's what it says. Your word is truth, and your word is what's going to sanctify them. Do that. He didn't say by great speakers and by super good books and all these good Christian movies and anything else. Sanctify them by your word. Word And once again, like I said earlier, it's not your word plus something else. Is it, you notice that? It's just sanctify them by your word. Not your word plus some experience, but by your word. Isn't it interesting how the Bible speaks about itself? Because <laughs> this, it, this is really what happens. This is the Bible talking about itself. One commentator says this new devotion which results in a separation from evil, produces purification of life and consecration to God's service. Since the word of God is truth, it provides the unchanging standard for the course and character of life. Before I move further, I'll bring up, an, I'll bring up one here in the Old Testament. This should be a text that many of you know. Hopefully. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. If you're still wondering why getting into the Word of God is important, this can apply very well to you parents as well. 
We'll even throw the grandparents in there. This is what's known as the Hebrew Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And by the way, that's kind of a basic breakdown, if you will, of the Israel's doctrinal statement. Okay? They didn't have a Bible in their hands like we do right now. Okay, That's the basic doctrinal statement of Israel. To them, this is the word of God at this time. Listen, these commandments that I give to you, these are going to be God's word. These commandments that I give to you, I want them to be on your hearts. I want you to impress them on your children. I want you to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Does anybody have any concern there about how important the word of God is? When you go back to the Torah, the Pentateuch, these commands, put them on your hearts, press them on your children, run them on your doorposts. When the kids get up, talk about it. When they go to sleep, talk about it. When you're walking down the road, talk about it. That's, yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Here's why. Hebrews 4.12, another favorite verse of mine. Once again, Bible talking about itself. The Word of God is living and active. This says a lot. It doesn't say the Word of God is dead. This is, you know, if you grab your favorite novel, you're just reading a novel, you think it's a great novel, great writer, good story, whatever. Oh, fine. But these aren't just words on a page. He says the Word of God is living and therefore active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's a pretty powerful statement. It says that God's word is the, the perfect discerner. It digs down deep and reveals the heart. It reveals whether you're right. It reveals whether you are wrong. But it says it penetrates, it says. It penetrates the heart like a double-edged sword. And it's living. It's active. Expositor's commentary says, God's word can reach to the innermost recesses of our being. We must not think that we can bluff our way out of anything, for there are no secrets hidden from God. We cannot keep our thoughts to ourselves. Folks, the Word of God causes growth in our lives. It helps us to identify sin, and it also helps us to get rid of it. Remember, he says, God's Word is living and active. I just added, and therefore, it's busy. It's busy. It's doing something. It's doing a work, right? You know, when Paul, Paul, as you know, wrote about half of the New Testament, 13 out of the 27 books, a couple of those he wrote to young Timothy, his protege, 
Timothy is, at this point, when he writes to Timothy in his two letters, Timothy is in Ephesus, right? Remember, they were, they were there together. Paul went off to Macedonia and left Timothy there in Ephesus. Kind of, Timothy, you're kind of the quasi-leader now here at this church. Get a lot of work to do. Now, did Paul say, all right, now, Timothy, I want you to sound good. When you get up there, sound good. Sound good. Make me proud when you're there, Timothy. Don't step on anybody's toes, though. We don't want you to do that. Whatever you do, don't challenge anybody's lifestyle. You definitely want to make sure that people feel good about themselves. Did he say anything even remotely like, no, no. When you think that, that Paul would have this lengthy you know, thesis statement to write out, he says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, I give you this charge, preach the word. Period. Paul knew that the word of God is what changes lives. You would think that he would have given Paul or Timothy, you know, this two pages with bullet points. He didn't have to. He just said, look it, this is my charge to you, preach the word, period. That's, that's all that needs to be done. That, that, that does it all. There's not add this, do this. We don't need that. He says, if you preach the word of God, lives will be changed. False teachers will be convicted. You're being faithful to the Lord himself. I always loved that. Just it's that simple. That's my charge. Preach the word. So number one, it, why the Bible? Why do we get into scripture? Because it helps us to overcome temptation or it helps us to stay free from sin. Number two, because it causes us to mature. It causes us to grow or it sanctifies us. And lastly, this morning, I just want to look at some overall benefits to the Word of God. I'm sure I could have broke this down too, but we'll just keep it simple because I'm probably going to go over it anyway. Overall benefits of the Word of God, benefits that we receive from being in the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. I like how he says this. Jeremiah says, When your words came, I ate them. <laughs> Why? Because they were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. He says, I consumed the word of God when it came, and that is what brought joy and delight to the heart of Jeremiah. There's a few here, and from Psalm 119, a really, really long chapter. But I promise I won't do the 150 verses. But in verses 98 through 100, he says, your commands, that's the word of God, by the way. When you see him using these words, commands, principles, precepts, law, it's all talking about scripture. Your commands, listen, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. 
You see all that? You see like the, the benefits, what we gain from God's word? Verse 104, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. It shares us, it enlightens us to know right from wrong. I hate the wrong path. Verse 105, you probably knew this as a child. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. The word of God does that. See that? Verse 69, may my cry come before you, O Lord. Listen, give me understanding according to your word. He just spills it out. Give me understanding according to your word, not according to society or culture or what's cool or what seems to be super smart and philosophical, but your word. There's so much understanding, insight, makes you wiser. It lightens my path. All in just these few verses talking about this is what God's word does to us, for us. Psalm 19. If you ever hear a, a pastor preach on this, it's, it's hard to mess this up. It's, it's pretty solid. Once again, you'll see... Um, I believe this is David, but you'll see the psalmist use the many different words talking about Scripture, right? He'll use those words like precepts and laws and commands. He says, the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. By the way, this is what he's going to do. He's going to say, this is what God's Word is, and this is what God's Word does. Right? He keeps it simple. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In other words, it's perfect. It's without blemish. God's word lacks nothing. It literally, it says, revives our soul. It restores our life from being exhausted with calamity. And it brings us back to where God would have us to be. The statutes of the Lord, he says, are trustworthy making wise the simple. The fact that it is trustworthy is saying that it's definite. It is, it is infallible. God's word will never let you down. And on making wise the simple, I like this. One commentator says, the word of God makes us, the simple, skilled in the art of godly living. <laughs> I like that. The word of God makes us skilled in the art of godly living. The precepts of the Lord, they are right, giving joy to the heart. Scripture is right, folks. It's an expression of God's moral integrity. It is right. And the benefit is that it brings joy to the heart of those who love what is right, those who love righteousness, those who desire to know what is right, to know what is acceptable to God. It brings joy to those who want that. He says the commands of the Lord are radiant, or you can also say pure, giving light to the eyes Almost kind of brings you back to a, God's word being a light to my path, right? God's word, he says, 
It's free from injustice. It's free from iniquity. It's clean. And it enlightens our eyes. It illumines us. It illumines our minds to the understanding of spiritual things. It helps us to see things we're not really going to see. The fear of the Lord is pure or flawless, enduring forever. Basically said, God's word teaches us to fear him. God's word teaches us to have an awe of God, a reverence for God, understanding who he is. He spoke the universe into existence. He will bring this earth one day to an end by his powerful word. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, this was God talking to Moses, God said, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to fear me. See, goes along with what he's saying. And he says, they will fear me as long as they live in this land. We do that, we're hearing God and hearing his word. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, and they're altogether righteous. He says, you know what, God's God's word is absolutely true. It's holy and completely righteous. And it provides for all spiritual resources. Peter says, for everything pertains to life and godliness. There's nothing missing. I don't need the Book of Mormon. I don't need this prophet. I don't need this and this. I just need the words of God. And finally, the psalmist adds that God's word, meaning his precepts, his laws, his statutes, all those, he says they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. That says that God's word should be desired by us more than riches. That hits us all pretty hard, doesn't it? God's word should be desired by us more than riches. And he says in keeping them, in keeping God's word, he says there is great reward. It's not a whole lot of stuff that most of us say, oh yeah, this is more important than bricks of gold. Yeah, one may be temporary and it'll help you out in this life, but God's word endures and lasts forever. Job put it this way. Chapter 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commands of his lips, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Interesting. I have treasured the words of God more than my daily bread. A passage of scripture I know very well and I, I love very much is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. Right? Or all scripture is inspired by God. All of it. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. There's a lot. You can just give one sermon right there. You, that, just that text alone. All Scripture, it's useful. It teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us. It trains us in righteousness. And notice what he says. So that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Once again, this isn't part-time. This isn't, we need a little bit more. No, we don't. As we wind down this morning, I encourage you to remember your Awana verse. Remember your Awana verse. How many of you went to Awanas growing up? A few of you? How many of you teach Awanas now or ever have? You, you, you. Brittany's back there now, but Brittany still teaches Awanas. Ken and Frida used to teach Awanas. They, they taught little Brittany Pfeiffer at one time. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved. A workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Don't be ashamed so that you won't be. Rightly dividing the word of truth. God's word is truth. Right? Folks, the Bible is a very, very powerful weapon. The question is, do we read it? Do we study it? Do we know how to use that weapon? Do we understand how to receive the benefits from the Word of God? Certainly you won't if you're never in it or never study it. Okay. Do you diligently study it? Do you apply the principles to your life? Do you have a storehouse of biblical truth that you can draw from in the heat of battle? We're, we're in a battle, right? We know that. Ephesians 6 told us that. Do you have a storehouse? Do you have scripture? Do you have, are you, what are you holding on to when you're out there? I hope it's the word of God. I hope it's the confidence in him and his word. And lastly, please understand, folks, that when you study God's word, you will know what truth is is. You will know what absolute truth. I know we live in a society that doesn't like absolute truth. Well, that's too bad. But you'll know what absolute truth is. And then you'll be able to discern that which is right from wrong. Wheat from chaff. If you don't know the Word of God, if you don't study it, you're, you, you know there are millions of people who are sucked into false teachers today. And it's because they're not grounded in the Word of God. A lot of them think they're on the right path. They don't really open up their Bible that much, and they're not encouraged to do so. Your spiritual growth is not going to be by me. It's going to be by the Word of God. It's going to be by the Spirit of God working in you. That's what you need to do. Allow God's Word to work in your life. Allow it to change your life. It won't be overnight. You might, you might read something. Do your best to study it. But more, especially for those of us who've been believers for a long time, the more and more and more and more you get into Scripture, the more you know it, understand it, it allows to change you. God will bring it to your mind. The more it helps you to overcome sin. Like I said a while ago, when you, <laughs> you're getting ready to do something stupid, then you have all Scripture and God's Word coming to your mind. So many benefits from God's Word, which is obviously why we do what we do, which I did not do today, but that's why we teach the Bible. That's why 
Donna is going to be teaching the women how to study their Bible. That's why sometimes people may ask, what, books about the Bible. It is the greatest treasure that we have. And we should use it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we had time to do this today. I know it was very much not my normal. Um, but Lord, if anything, we went through a whole lot of Scripture. And that's very important. If we're going to talk about God's Word, we want to look at what you have to say. And I love how, Lord, you have written us things about your Word. <laughs> the Bible speaks about itself so much. And so, Lord, help us. We all fall short of this, myself included. Even as a pastor, Lord, we're not as diligent as we should be. But God, help us um, to understand the truth, the benefits of your word, what it can do to change our lives. Help us, Lord, to never desire to just be at the same place we are today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next year, that we would want to mature, want to grow spiritually. And we know it's because we get into your word. We know that we come to a Bible study. We, we come to our Sunday school class. We come to this kind of a church where we teach the word expositionally. Would help us to truly grasp that is the greatest treasure we have in our hands. We're grateful for it. And Lord, help us. There are so many people overseas who will, who will literally tear a page out of a Bible and keep it and put it in their pocket so nobody takes it. And they'll memorize it. And yet we over here will have five or six translations laying around our house that have dust on them. Lord, we're spoiled here in America, but Lord, we need to be blessed. Bless ourselves with what you have already given to us and allow it. Allow us to see it change our lives and that we would see your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.